0: Hello, my name is Jason, and I'm Connor, and this is the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast.
1: Today's passage is found in John chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It says this, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jason, what amazes you?
0: What amazes me about this text is I was taught that Jesus was the star of the show. And Jesus... Is saying God's the star of the show. I just do what He tells me to do. Um, I I don't do anything unless He tells me to do that, and I just think that that is an amazing humble thing to say, and it amazes me of the implications in my life of what's the expectation of me. In other words, He's saying I don't have my own script that I write and then go back and say how was that God. He's saying. God is constantly writing the script, and I am saying it as He gives it to me and that's that just amazes me because it, it reframes how I think about Jesus walking the earth
1: yeah no that's that is that's a it's an incredibly helpful perspective and i, I the question that pops to my mind is if that's true about jesus right if if that's the lens that he's viewing his walk here on earth, and how does that affect us? And you know affect us as terms of leaders or terms of you know members of a church. Man, what does that mean for us if this is if if Jesus is saying He isn't the star of the show? Then how much how much less the star of show are we? That's that's exactly right. And
0: and that the the waves. If you think about you know drop the stone in the water and the ripple effect. The ripple effect of my life expectations. That, I mean, I've been working with this concept for only a couple of years, and it's already had so many, uh, so much impact on my life, and I just think, but I think those ripples will continue. But it, it really is, this passage in many ways defies how I was raised uh, to be a, a Christian, to be a Christ follower. Yeah. What about you? What amazes you about this?
1: What amazes me about this passage is this is a direct connection to... To the very beginning of creation. So you go back to you go back to creation you go back to creation, right? You go back to the creation of Adam and Eve, and God entrusts dominion, He entrusts entrust judgment and dominion to Adam and Eve over the animals, over all over over the care of the earth. And one of the things that we see in Jesus is he is the true Adam. He is the true fulfillment of that calling. And this is an example of that in in the later verses of this passage um Jesus will talk about how the father has entrusted all judgment to to the son how he's entrusted all of this care and all of this dominion to the son and what's so amazing to me about this passage passage is Adam and you know by further extension we couldn't do that right we couldn't possess this dominion this this judgment over all the earth we, we are not capable of it and we can't do it but yet Jesus is. And so, man, it's just incredible when I have that perspective um that that God is not just wiping away. God is not just wiping away because we couldn't get the job accomplished. God is not just wiping us away and saying, "Well, fine, I'll do it myself." He is he is he is grafting us into the process. He is making us a part of his ongoing work. And man, I think that is just so incredible because for me, I'm the kind of person that, you know, when I was in school and I had a group project and I had a, a guy in my group who didn't do anything, you know, I just want to say, well, get lost and I'll do everything and you can, put my, you can put your name on the project and I'll hold a grudge against you until I'm at least 24, probably I'll hold it for much longer. Um, but what I love about, what I love about God is he is not just abandoning that plan. And that's just amazing to me. He's not abandoning humanity and he's not abandoning his original intent.
0: Yeah. And and we didn't touch on verse 24, but the whole section obviously has power, but he, he really says he, he, he really reinforces what you just said. Um, that idea that if you hear and believe, and that believe is a constant, not just one time, but you're constantly saying, okay, I'm choosing to believe you, you've crossed over to death to where he is and in the same space as, as he is. And I think that is a, a, man, we could go all day on that, but, but that the implications are really beautiful. And I think if you are listening to this and you're like, man, I don't feel life, I don't feel vibrancy, I don't feel joy, I think there's a correlation to this, uh, that you haven't moved into that space. I don't feel purposeful. Like what Connor just described, that was purposefulness. Like like we are joining him in this. Like he's not just wiping it away, and he's not just saying, I'll do it. He's saying, I'll do it, and I want to include you in this beautiful thing. But it ties into what Jesus says in 24. You have to choose to believe, not just believe there is a God, but, but believe there's a God, well, this is Hebrews 11, 6, and he rewards those who seek him that there's power in you participating, both kingdom power, implications for the kingdom, but also power in you Yeah, and your sense of... Self and your sense of, of purpose and your sense of, you know, all, all these dynamics that God wants to bring.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so life giving. Did you ever have a situation when you were younger, Jason, that you were like maybe a kid or younger teenager and the older kids, the older teenagers invited you to be a part of something? They saw value in you. They saw value in what you brought to the table. And they even if you're going to play like a lesser part, or even if you weren't going to be the main focal point, like being a part of that big group was like so impactful. I remember for me, I had a situation where i think it was i was in sixth grade it was the first year i was ever at church camp and i was really great at catching uh catching dodgeballs in in dodgeball (laughs) and so i remember i like we like it was a camp where we played dodgeball 24 7 and an older group of teenagers uh at the camp asked me to be a part of their team because like i was like the designated catcher i couldn't throw as hard because i hadn't gone through puberty yet but i could really i could really catch and i remember like i remember that feeling still inside of me like i get to be a part of of what they're doing. I get to be a part of this team. I get to be a part of this process. Um, and man, that, that feeling, if you can capture how you felt, if you've ever had that feeling, if you can capture how that felt, you can kind of, you can kind of equate, man, that's what God is doing, but it's not just simply with a group project or with a game of dodgeball. It's with his grand plan for history and for creation and for all of this.
0: That is I I love that I love that so much, and I went, man, we could camp right here on this, and I think this is kind of, it it ties into what perplexes me, but let me let me add a sports story of my own. We used to play wiffle ball all the time in my in my neighborhood, and this this is I've entitled this the Georgie Sam's effect. Okay, Georgie Sam's was an older brother to my friend Jason Sam's, and Georgie every once was three to four years older than us, but to me he was the teenager. Yeah, you know, I was still in. Maybe early middle school, and uh, every once in a while, Georgie Sam's would jump into our wiffle ball game. It was the same game, same bases, same ball, same rules. It changed the whole game. I remember the Georgie Sam's games because it just legitimized everything I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the, the the added effect there of of capturing the feeling of that I'm being chosen to play this sport. But even to say, you know, and you can make the same basic dynamic from, because you had played volleyball without being on this team, or not volleyball, but dodgeball without being on this team, and to be able to say, I am living life, and I don't feel joy. And yet God says, Jesus says in John 10, he says, I'm going to call you into life that is fully abundant, like just excessively full of life. And if I'm not experiencing that, I have to ask myself, am I totally misperceiving what is happening here? And that leads to what perplexes me, if I may throw that in, is how we have made Jesus's identity and how to be like Jesus is to be sin-free. That's always Jesus, you know, had all these things, but he never sinned, he never sinned, he never sinned, which is true. I want to be very clear. If Jesus did have sin, then his sacrifice wouldn't mean what it meant, yeah. his sacrifice on the cross. It's fascinating to me that Jesus never makes the appeal to, do you notice I'm sin free here? Of course I can speak because I'm sin free. He never says that. He never talks about himself being sin free as an appeal to follow him. It, so his mark, his the, what we want to replicate is not his sin freeness. Uh, now, what I'm not saying is we need to to sin that grace may abound. You yeah. know, my answer would be the same as as Paul says in Romans six. He's like, no, by by no means. But but the dynamic here that he calls us to again and again, including this passage, is. Do you understand what is special about me is I am fully dependent on God. I am the first human to walk this earth that is fully dependent on God. Nothing I say is said without him giving it to me. Nothing I do. It's his dependence that we can replicate. We always think, well, I want to be like Jesus, but I can't do miracles. Well, I want to be, be like Jesus, but I, but I can't be sin-free. I'm, I just haven't ever got there, you know, or even if I started, I have all the sin in the past, and Jesus never calls us to replicate that, He calls to replicate him depending on God. Now, people say, well, wait a minute. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be holy like like God. And the thing is, the whole thrust of the Sermon on the Mount is a realization, you need a Savior. That's the whole thrust uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. So we've kind of taken that out of context and, and merged it. Jesus' appeal is, will you depend on God like I depend on God? And we've totally got it wrong. We have to reproduce God in order to be a Christian. We have to be perfect like God is, or at least present that facade. And it robs us of the very life. And that's what perplexes me, is is really it's not the text
1: itself as much as the
0: interpretation
1: that we have put on it. So there's an interesting thing at play here with what you just said, Jason. For me in my own life, I think they're they're basically two schools of thought, right? We come up with a whole bunch of systems for how we address different issues and how we think about different things. And then there's the other way of doing things, this other system of of leaning on God, trusting that he will give you the wisdom and the strength in any individual particular moment, whatever the need may arise. So resting in his power rather than my own power in this other way of doing things. And there's a weird thing that in my mind, and maybe it's in your mind, maybe it's in listeners' minds, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, that at the same time, the trusting in God, trusting in His way and in His strength seems like the easier way because I don't have to construct all these other methodologies. It seems like the, it's it's one or two things, it's, it's very simple, but in a real sense, it's also a lot harder to do than drifting into just coming up with different categories to do things. And so my, my question my question is, when do you feel that? And, and if, if you do, how do you address that in your own heart, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, so a, a tremendous question. And I, so when, when Jesus says this here about, you know, I don't have this pre-plan, Like, I don't have—okay, tomorrow we're going to Samaria, and then I'll meet this woman, and I'll do X, Y, Z. I only do what God tells me to do. And we don't even know how did God tell you this a day ago, a week ago, within the moment. We don't know. But the key here is his responsibility was to trust God, not to figure out what he was going to say the next time. Okay, and I think we see that in Acts too with with these non Jesus people. They're Jesus people, you understand? Yes. People that aren't Jesus walking with God's Spirit. We've lost that, and we've traded it. And here's the operative word: for dependence on systems. Systems aren't sinful. Dependence on systems are sinful. Dependence on methodologies. Dependence on my church is sinful, and that's the trade-off here. Is Jesus isn't dependent on his ability to say smart things. I better say a wise thing here. People will be reading this for years to come. You know, what yeah. I mean, I better, I better come across good here. He was dependent on God, and he said wise things. He was dependent on God, and he did not sin as a result. The reason I, though, want to move to systems is I, I'm i a human. I want things measurable, predictable, controllable. And as soon as you say, I'm going to trust God, uh, what that means is I am actually submitting my power. I'm not getting rid of it i'm I'm offering my power to God for him to use for His purposes in ways that I will not feel comfortable with almost every time. Jesus could have easily walked across the water and not shown himself to the apostles. you know, but he said, I'm going to take you, Peter, and all the other apostles vicariously through the process of having to make a choice, will I will I believe you're Jesus, number one, and you're walking on the water, which nobody can. Like, keep in mind in that context, they're more ready to believe a ghost is there yeah. than Jesus is. And then second, will you be willing to step out on the water? And trust me, this is our everyday life. Everyday life we should be, this is a step out on water day. We need to do that passage sometime. Yeah. But But because the dynamics are the same, will you trust Jesus more than you trust your system? Because the right system approach to walking on water is don't ever do it especially in a storm and so so let me give a specific first of all is that click is that answer your question yes i that that does click in my mind okay so let me give you an example so i'm walking into a situation two weeks ago but i need you to know this has happened to me for years and years i'm walking into situation a true just a horrific death has happened okay and i'm walking in and i'm talking to the parents of this man that has died And I'm like, okay, what am I gonna say? You know? And I just start putting it together. I'm like, okay, if they ask this, ask that. And then I realize really quickly, I don't know what I'm gonna say. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm gonna say because I don't know what they need. I don't know what they're gonna ask. As soon as I go in and say to myself or say to myself, yeah, here's what they're gonna ask, here's what they're gonna need, I start to not listen to them. And I start to listen for the cues for my responses. Now what happens is God brings to mind things I have said before, things I have studied before, things I have prepared before. So it's not like you have to forget everything you've ever learned. On the contrary, all of that is accessible to God. The key is, am I dependent on my experience? Like I've talked to, like I've talked to hundreds, not, not hundreds, but probably a hundred people-ish of, of, who are experiencing grieving, You know what I mean? And so I could easily say, well, here's the top 10 things I say, so I'm just listening for the opportunity to plug those things in. The problem is that may even work in a conversation too, but eventually I will be answering questions they're not asking because I stop listening. That's good. Because I assume I know. And the way to not stop listening is you keep listening to God first, then you're able to listen to the person in front of you.
1: That's good. I love what you said a little bit ago about listening. Am I listening for my cues or am I listening for God and this person in front of me? Man, that's that that is that is so good um, to, to talk to like the core of of what you're saying, um, trusting and following the path of God, I think, is, is both it's the most it is what we were made to do, right? It's, it's how God formed us to follow after. it. It's it's the most natural path for us. And in some ways it's the easiest path because that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the way we were, that's what we were created for. But in reality, it's also the hardest because it means not relying on your own understanding and not relying on your own strength. And I think this is the heart of Amazed and Perplexed, right? Is, man, so much of the time, like trusting in God It can be the most natural, you know, it it just, it makes complete sense and it's easy. And then there are times where it just, it, it seems ludicrous. It seems unsafe. It seems, um, people will make fun of you for it. And I I think that dynamic that we're talking about, I think this is why we do Amaze and Perplexed. I think that this is the heart of, of why we do this. And so I, I just love that. Um, so kind of shifting, shifting gears into what, um, shifting gears into what perplexes me. So this passage starts off, um, and it says that Jesus is doing things on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders began to persecute him for this. It will go on to say that um, they recognize what Jesus is saying, that he's equating himself with God. He's calling himself equal to God, which would be blasphemy in in their minds. And for for most people it, it would be it would be blasphemy. What's really perplexing for me is in this moment, right, the Pharisees, they have the ability, the knowledge to interpret Jesus correctly and what he's saying, because Jesus is equating himself with God. He is he is saying this is true about me. But they don't have the ability to interpret him correctly when he talks about the Sabbath, about what the true purpose of the Sabbath is, what what he has actually come to do. And so man, it, it's just it's perplexing to me because I, I know it's true in my own life, but so many times I just look at people and they get halfway there. Right. And they can't see the forest through the trees and it's, and it's perplexing to me and it's encouraging. And it's also kind of disheartening that these people who knew so much about so much about the Bible and so much about the scriptures, no, no more than I could ever possibly know, honestly, uh, maybe if I, Studied like they did, but I don't have the stick to it in this to do that, but these people these learned men who respected, they could see this true fact of what Jesus was saying about himself, but yet they, they couldn't see the full picture um, and man, what that says about what that says about us as religious leaders or what that says about humanity as a whole, it, it's just perplexing to me. It, it is absolutely my life. I uh, I will
0: I will stress. Um, l- let's not be. Hey guys, let's give grace. Let's not be judgmental. Let's listen. And when I'm in a vein that that makes sense to me, I'm really good, and I'm just trusting God to carry me and watching for it. And then you bring up another subject, and I'm like, well, that's just wrong. I'm not even going to listen. Yeah, you know, and which is one of the reasons why I won't allow myself on social media <laughs> to to, to go off because I just don't trust myself. Uh, because I'll just get. I just will not participate in in heated discussions in the in those forums because I will eventually become what I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, I will eventually say I'm I'm halfway there or or a tenth of the way there or whatever, but but I will immediately when you switch gears on me. I do this all the time with my with my family, where I'll be like, man, I want to love people. That's that's the guiding thing. What's the most loving thing? And then I'll come home and I'll feel in, entitled on one way. Matter of fact, I may serve and. Put away all the dishes and make dinner, and you know, clean up things and and everything. Um, and then, and I'll feel really selfless, and I'm like, man, that was really the most loving thing. And then Heather will ask me to do something I don't want to do, and mm-hmm. it's like I'm entitled, yeah, you know. And so I'm such a hypocrite in that way. Oh yeah. But but you're so right to. I think it's good even to credit that. That just struck me as as new. When you said, do you see, like in my mind, do you see, Jason, that the Pharisees got some things right? They're not just the bad guys. They're not just wearing the black hats, as it were, you know, they they are getting some things right. They just refuse to be humble in the areas where they're not getting it right.
1: So I think this is the, tr- the, the truth about the Pharisees that is, I, I think, has been really revolutionary in my life. It's like you said, like we talked about, um, we talked about in our questions and reflections episode about the woman caught in adultery. I don't think necessarily the Pharisees are the bad guys. I, I, like as i ma- I think maturity for me when I read scripture is recognizing that if I had been placed in the position of the Pharisees, if I had grown up like the Pharisees, there's a good chance I would have been, I would have been a Pharisee. I would have been, I would have been like them. It's the same thing when we look back, you know, in terms of um, psychologically and we look back, if we had grown up in Nazi Germany, you know, who would we have been? You know for me, if I'm dropped back there now there's a, there's a good chance that I, I would you know I would fight and I would I would fight oppression. but if I had grown up like them or I had grown up in their situations, there's a chance I would have committed horrible atrocities. And there's a recognition in me that that I'm capable of evil, that I'm capable of these things. And for me, maturity in regards to the Pharisees is recognizing not only do I do the things that they do and talk like talk about the same things they talk about all the time, I could have literally been exactly them, place in yeah. their situation.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to draw to mind uh, the man that um, – man, I know this guy's name, and I'm just not drawing it right now. But he he was in a concentration camp, and he, um, he survived, and he went to uh, Nuremberg, the trials, you know, and everything. And um, when the guy walked in, it was the highest-ranking person that lived, you know, that, that was brought to trial. He was really shook. And it wasn't because of oh, I know, all the evil. Yeah. It's the idea the guy looked just like him. Yeah, he looked normal, and in his mind, he had to look evil and just drip, exude, you know, just mm-hmm. just pure awfulness. And I, and I think that humility is something. This is why we're called to humility in so many different ways, so many different times throughout the New Testament. Is just that realization that there truly is when we go to correct somebody. Our first thing is this is in Matthew 7 is we need to recognize we are just as guilty, we are just as bad and pick a pick another aspect of life and they would be the ones coming to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to own that first, embrace humility and then ask God how what's the most loving way. That's why when he says we remove the speck from the eye, you're not jabbing the eye. When you remove a speck from another human's eye, yeah. you're being really super overly careful, you know, and that's a loving way to do that. And so, if we would just am- be surgical, exactly. I mean, and and very precision, and you're and you're listening for them. I mean, how cruel would it be if you're poking people down and they're saying ow, 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 and you're just ignoring them? You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, and that's certainly not the picture there in the text that there's a gentleness uh, that's that's built in, you know, to the concept.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I even wonder. You know, if podcasting technology would have been around two thousand years ago, I would bet, man, I would bet some podcasts by some Pharisees would just be—I bet it'd be utterly fascinating. I bet it'd be like incredibly interesting, um, and would we would gain a lot from it. And so, I think this sort of dialogue, this the challenging, the questioning—this is what the Pharisees did. This is what this is what this is what the religious leaders would have done in in the Jewish religion at that time and i think it's an important reminder even for this exercise for us even as we talk about humility and approaching it like this um it's very easy for us it'd be very easy for us to slide over into militant maybe militant humility i don't know would Mm -hmm. that would that be a bad thing if we if if we couldn't if we couldn't see other if we didn't see humility in something or we didn't see um a particular aspect of humility, like a particular fruit of humility. If we didn't see that outwardly in something, would it be could we possibly miss a picture of something?
0: I, I think it again, this this goes back to the root of this of this text is once Jesus says, I am not speaking from my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking from my personality, my preferences, I only speak what God tells me to speak. That level of humility that level of teachability, constant, just teaching, teaching, teaching learning, learning, learning. that is the model that's what disciple means a learner and and I think that these are all tied in. and the fact that we've separated those and we've made humility a factor that you do as a as a Christian versus that's who you are. That's good. It's not just a practice. oh, I need to I need to apply humility here. No. I am humble because I have no, I don't deserve to be at the table and God freely, not just welcomes me, but keeps me there and nourishes me there and provides what I need there. And I think I think this, if that were more baked in to this is what it means when I wake up in the morning and say, "I'm, I'm a disciple, I'm with you, God, you've got this, then immediately I'm humbled because his ways aren't my ways. I'll never master the material and that's not even on the table. The issue is, will I trust him? And see, what this goes back to something you said previously. At face value, you're like, trusting him is easy. You know what I mean? Having a thousand strategies for every situation, that would be so hard. The reason though we tend to lean towards the a thousand strategies is because if we, I'll, I'll say it this way, we hate looking foolish. I, I would even say, and this is a bold thing, many of us would rather say, I will never share Jesus with you rather than feel foolish. And and it's because and and he says in 1 Corinthians that chapter 1 he says look this is foolishness <laughs> you know to to the people this idea of I serve a, a a guy that died and was raised that's just foolishness to the minds of our our common culture and I it, well that's what I'm saying it's foolish then. and it's just as foolish now And because of the victories that I think Satan has had in our culture, we kind of turn it in. So I'd rather have a strategy where I can predict a note than the risk of looking foolish. Because if I go into that couple that has lost their son and they say, so Jason, what do you think? And I have no answer. Well, now I look foolish and I will fear foolishness and then I will just gravitate to control. And we have to be open to being perceived as foolish, that, to let, let me drill down with that, to not having the answers to look stupid, to look like, "I have nothing to offer here." because that's where God comes through every big miracle, especially in the Old Testament. Moses looks so foolish. For taking his people out to a place they couldn't escape from. Joshua seems so foolish telling the people, let's go to march around. David seems so foolish charging out there. Esther seems so foolish approaching the king Xerxes. All of those look now, see, we see it through this lens of the outcome. We're like, oh, that was smart. But up to the point God intervened at their most helpless, foolish looking moment, it looked foolish. And we have been taught by churches, don't look foolish, don't look stupid, have the answers, be prepared. And we raise up preachers like, I have converted a billion people and I always have the right answer to everything. And I'm like, that's why when we move in a situation where I'm just gonna trust God, the devil hits us with you, you're gonna look foolish. And for many of us, it just shuts us down.
1: That's good. And that gets to the, why, why, why do we have these conversations? it's not so that we can memorize a lot of Bible so that when somebody brings up John 5, you know, 16 through 23, we'll seem really knowledgeable and we'll have all, all the right answers. We try to have this conversation from from that place of humility and that place of being open, right? Of we've read these passages a thousand times and we're discovering these new things about them. We're discovering an, another word from God that, that we didn't see before. And ultimately for us, if we've read this passage 30, 40 times and we see something new in it, the world is going to credit that as foolishness. Of like, if if you've read something a hundred times and you can't, and you are still like getting a new point from it, like then you weren't reading it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Then you, you were dumb the first time. You yes. weren't you weren't observant. You are not. You weren't mature. And you know, for us, it's such a given that that like this is a beautiful part of God. But maybe maybe you phrase it to the world that like you know you could read the same you know passage for thirty years and still not understand it completely. The world's going to see that as stupid and foolishness. But for us, that's beauty. That's that's amazing.
0: That's right, and and that's that's us believing that his word is living and active. Yeah, which his word isn't living and active because it was well written. His word is living and active because his spirit is working in us to keep understanding to deeper levels what what he's saying, not just what he wrote, but what the full meaning of that is, and that even that. Well, what 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 if a congregation reads it and people have different different conclusions? Well, the truth is they've always had different conclusions. (laughs) We just didn't feel safe to share it. Uh, But secondly, are we, as leaders, encouraging people—and by leaders, I don't mean leaders of churches, I just mean wherever your influence falls—encouraging people, okay, let's keep talking about this, let's keep trusting God together. What will God give us as a community that I didn't have alone? See, this conversation with you, Connor, the reason why I keep doing this is because it brings life because you will say things that I'm like, I have never thought about that. And I've had years of education you haven't had and years of experience you haven't had, and yet God teaches me through you every time. That's the nature of kingdom living. But we've kind of, oh, that's kind of scary because you may say something I disagree with instead of saying, okay, God, I'm open. You'll make truth come to
1: the surface if we're seeking you. Will we trust you with this? Wrapping up here, you know, we talked about, you know, coming across as foolish for Jesus, coming across as foolish for the cause of Christ and the fact that that, if we're living in concert with the will of God, that's just a reality. We're going to be, not only are we going to appear foolish, sometimes we will even be foolish in in certain circumstances. One of the, the things that draws my mind early in our conversation as an opportunity to be foolish is when you become the older brother or the older teenager in a situation and invite somebody who is not on the same level as you or not in the same group as you into your, into your group, into your party, inviting them into something um, and calling them to play an active role in, in that thing in the same way that Jesus does for us. And but we, you know, Jason and I both have many different examples of times when somebody called us into something and it meant so much to us that somebody validated our worth um, and validated our our being and that our presence was a net benefit to the new group or whatever it may be. In fact, for me, one of the reasons that I originally got into youth ministry was I felt like there were some turns in my early teenage years that if that had happened more, if there had been somebody to come alongside of me. It would have just been I would have avoided a lot of heartache. There would have been a lot of struggle that I didn't have to go through if somebody had been there to initiate me, to to call me out, to make me a part of the group. And so our closing kind of question is is how how do we practice that, right? Because sadly for me, and I, I think the same thing is for you, I'm not playing as much dodgeball as I used to. So I don't get to actively, <laughs> um, right. although I would love to. If any listeners have an active dodgeball league, let me know. I'll come and I'll play once and I'll be knocked out for a couple of weeks, but I'll be back. Um, so yeah, how how do we how do we recognize circumstances where we can invite somebody into playing this active part in our life, our church, our mission, whatever it may be? And then how do we also play the role of the um gracious little brother, gracious little kid in terms of God and maybe in terms of people that have leadership over us? Because sometimes for me, somebody might invite me into something or God might invite me to something that I see as beneath me, but in reality is isn't is what he wants for me.
0: So the way my mind thinks about it is why don't we see ourselves in that role? Why sure. don't I, using my terminology, why why don't I see that I'm Georgie Sam's to, yeah. to the other people? And um I think that number one, there is a principle, I believe it's it Paul writes this to Timothy, that that he Timothy is to entrust trustworthy people who will then pass it to trustworthy people and you get this sense. So you are a trustworthy person to somebody. Okay. And if you're, if you have your eyes open, God will lead people into your life that will trust you. You do not have to have a position to be a leader in God's church. Um, it, your, your group may be small or maybe large, but God says he will give us people to invest in. Cause he wouldn't have said, go and, and, be a disciple with people unless he was going to provide people that could be in that relationship with you. So you have to believe him. Because I, when I talk to people about this, they'll say, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody. And so it's almost like you got to lead them through. A okay, first of all, can you pray about it? Just pray about it, that God would open your eyes. But part of it is believing that you are that to somebody else. See, Georgie Sands probably had no idea that this was lighting our day up, or he might have done it more. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was just, he thought, well, I'll do this for a little bit and I'll, I'll move on. Um, and the guys invited invite you to play dodgeball probably weren't thinking, man, this will be a, a guiding principle that you just benefited their team. you know. But to believe, see, we often believe I have nothing to offer, so I'm never in that role. But if you will invite people into your life, number one, and asking God, hey, God, will you show me? And you might invite 20 people into their life, and it's the 20th person it clicks with. Yeah. Don't minimize the 19, uh, but just keep watching. But then second of all, the way you invite them in is – is you legitimize them. So in most of our interactions, it's listening to them. You know, uh, Maybe you're, you're serving and you're like, hey, would you wanna come do this with me? Don't underestimate the value of the invitation. If they say no, it's fine. But, but you're you're always aware that God will use you in the lives of others. And they, oftentimes we're more comfortable with younger, but they could be older or the same age as you. Um, just to say, hey, God, I believe you, you use me. That's number one. And number two, so I'm watching and listening. Uh, and allowing that to work out, and not being afraid of failure because success is being open to trusting God, trusting God when you're interacting with them, and then trusting God when they leave. So even if it ends with them like, you're a dumb idiot, and walk away, Mm -hmm. you're like, I was being faithful. God, if there's something I was doing wrong, will you teach me? Search me and show me, as David says in
1: Psalm 139, and just being open. For me, when I was invited to play dodgeball with the older teenagers, I remember after that after that big big match, uh, we were at church camp, and I was hanging out with my older brother's friends in a gazebo. You know, it's late July. There's a bunch of bees around. We all just had canteen. If you have a church camp background, you'll 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 get that reference. And um, I'm a sweaty 11 year old boy with a bowl cut and really chubby cheeks, and an older teenager. I think he might have been 17 or 18. He was he was older. Uh, Jeff Johns. He came, um, and he. In front of my brother's friends, who I all admired and looked up to, he reenacted a catch I had made during that dodgeball thing. I and I like I dove to the ground and caught the ball. And I remember Jeff Jeff Johns got on the floor of the gazebo to imitate to show everybody how what I had done and how cool it was. Um, and I vividly remember that. In fact, (laughs) I hope my brother doesn't listen to this. My brother accidentally, my brother was a jerk, he like threw some ice at at Jeff while he was on, on, on the gazebo and everybody laughed, but, and and he, he looked kind of foolish because he got on the ground to imitate this thing. And I remember seeing everybody's reaction to him praising me and it being like, well, whatever it's silly. But for me, it was the biggest deal. I have a vivid memory from 14 years ago of, of when that happened. And I think, I think this is such an important thing for us that when we talk to people about Jesus, it's not so that they get saved from hellfire. It's not so not, it's not so that they get saved from hell. It's that they get invited into this amazing game of dodgeball. This game is this, this life. They get invited into this presence of Jesus. And so for when there's something I loved, loved about him for him, for, for Jeff, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to him what, what they thought ultimately, It was a loving and affirming, ultimately it it was a benefit to me and it's something that I'm sure nobody else remembers, but I treasure that memory for for the rest of my life. So for you, taking a step out into foolishness, taking a step out into uncomfortability or awkwardness, you might end up on the floor with somebody throwing ice or slushy at you and everybody around you might look at you as a fool, but for that one person... That could mean ultimate life and could be the catalyst for them going forward. We thank you for listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Grace, peace, and love.